Welcome back to the TKZ Outdoors podcast. You're here in BFE in the Central UP with the Uper Boys talking about small game, bear hunting, and a little bit of fishing. So stay tuned here in the Kill Zone. So without any further screwing around, um, we're going to get into it here. Back um, in the saddle with Coulter Lubin and Cody Norton and your host, Don Brown. Um, boys, it's been a while. We're here in September. We The last recording was in June. I've had my kids since then. You guys have, you know, been doing whatever you guys have been doing. And we're into fall, finally. Hunting season's here. Fishing's cranking up. Um, so Coulter, what's the fishing been like? Let us know. What do you got going on? Well, we last met in June. Don's been having kids. Cody's been getting new jobs and working on his house with his wife. And I, the bachelor, Coulter Lubin, have been fishing. And nothing much else other than maybe going to work. So, yeah, the fishing's been... Well, when you go as much as I do, I've had some terrible days and I've had some great days. But this is a time of year where uh, there's just not a lot of people out there doing it except for just diehard fishermen. Um, a lot of people have switched gears to, to grouse or woodcock or waterfowl or cranking up for getting ready for deer season. So, you know, you just notice the boat launches are just nothing like they were, you know, just a month ago. So that part of it I like, not that I don't like people out fishing, but it's just, it's a peaceful time of year to be on the water. The leaves are changing colors on the shorelines. The, a lot of the recreational um, cottage lakes are really starting to quiet down, but yet the fishing's still extraordinary. And why that is, is because we're going into a time now where, um, and I'm speaking now, I guess, um, strictly on bass, but bass go into a time where they don't feed much in the winter, so they have to, uh, so they do a lot of feeding during the fall. Um, both smallmouth and largemouth are putting their feed bag on and it usually starts you know right around here at the end of September through through October into November and then you hear guys still if they can find um, open water still cranking on them in December up here in the north so the fishing's um, been good you can definitely tell the fish are getting fatter and they're getting bigger on um, both the smallmouth and the largemouth um, the thing is with the smallmouth this time of year though is they're really starting to school up um, so if you can find them, it's awesome fishing, but it's it can be a struggle. Um, you talk to some people and they said that I went out and I could just not find the fish today. And then you talk to them the next day and they're like, you know, we found them. And when we found them, we found a whole bunch of them and just you just have a blast. Um, it's because, and why that is, is because in the wintertime they're schooled up. They're offshore, they're on deep ledges, they're in deep water um, being dormant. So that's... Uh, so that's kind of what they're beginning to do now. So no, it's been it's been fun. Um, been fishing a lot of top water. Um, been fishing a lot of uh, um, a lot of tubes for smallmouth. A lot of drop shot. A lot of Ned rig. Just your typical smallmouth stuff. And then um, largemouth. It's it's interesting this time of year. A lot of the weeds are dying. Not quite yet, but into October when we start getting those really cold nights and the water temperature really starts dropping. A lot of those shallow weeds are dying. And so what that does is um, when those weeds are dying, the oxygen is sucked out of the water. So a lot of the bait fish aren't or not on those um, dying weeds. They're on the deeper weeds that are still alive or they're on wood, down trees, docks. So um, so the same thing goes for largemouth and smallmouth because there's not 
a lot of bait spread out throughout the lake like there is in the summertime. The fish are really grouped up. I was out the other night and I caught around 25 largemouth. And I caught 25 largemouth in about four spots. And I fished probably, you know, 30 spots. So once you found one, you usually found four or five. Um, but if you weren't finding them, you weren't finding any of them. So it's just kind of the characteristic of the fall. The fish are really schooled up on what structure um, the bait's still holding on. So the key in the fall is find the bait. You're going to find the fish, and you're going to have a great time while everybody else is, you know, sitting in a tree stand or chasing grouse around. There's still a lot of fishing to be had, so it's going to be a fun fall. We had a hell of a trip in August there in Grand Traverse Bay, flipping tubes in Lake Michigan. Oh, yeah, that was – I finally took Don again. After that first time I took him and he, he kind of smacked me around a little bit, I thought, man, I can't get him in my boat again. I had to listen to his bullshit about catching a bigger fish than me for the last, well, when it, that was June. That was June. And every time I saw him since then, he had to tell me he outfished me, which he really didn't, but he did. He caught the bigger fish. He didn't catch more fish, but regardless. We'll Quality. Just, you, you outfished me. You outfished me. But I decided in August it had been two months. I figured I could take him out again and... We were down in Traverse City on a work trip, and I actually left my house at 2 a.m. in the UP <laughs> to meet Don at 8 o'clock at uh, the resort that we were um, staying at for a work meeting. We picked him up, and it was it was phenomenal. Yeah, once we found him, like you were saying, fall fish, we were on him. It was... The only thing stopping us from fishing all day was work. We had to go back noon, right? Noon. Yeah. And the fishing was just... It was getting better. Yeah. It was not slowing down any. Yeah, and that was... Big fish, too. Yep, some big ones. And what's interesting is I stayed the whole week down there and, and had a little bit of work meetings and then fished any time after and in between, and that I never had. That was just that day. That was the only day I could find the big ones. I found fish the other days, but just could not find the big fish. I don't know where they went, but they weren't where... We weren't where we found them because I went back to that spot every single day hoping I could repeat that Tuesday morning and never could. But yeah, if you, you know, if, <clears throat> that's just a, a great area just to, you know, we're obviously all Michigan people here on the podcast and that if you've never been to that Grand Traverse Bay area or um, I mean, kind of that whole region, like there's tons of inland lakes. Um, there's, of course, East, Way, East Bay and West Bay and the smallmouth fishing is world class. It's and it's some of the most beautiful water I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. I mean, the visibility is 30, 40 feet. Um, you see the smallmouth. I mean, that's what can make the fishing tough is because they see the boat too. But it's just a beautiful area um, and just awesome fish. And, you know, they. I was on Facebook the other day just kind of following a guy that guides down there. And it's just like everywhere in the fall is when they really start catching the big ones again. Of course, you all the big fish are caught in the spring. Everybody knows that. They're up shallow spawning. That's when all the big females are at their heaviest weight or close to their heaviest weight. But in the fall, it's another time when those big ones show back up after wherever they've been all summer, whether it's out in Lake Michigan, whether in Lake Huron, Lake Superior, depending on where you're at. Um, those A lot of those big fish are out there in just really deep water. Um, salmon guys are catching them on big plugs out in 100 foot of water sometimes, those big smallmouth. So it's just really hard to find those fish. But in the fall, they come back in, and they're you know in those bays again, putting the feed bag on before winter, and it can just be unbelievable fishing. So I wish I'd get down to Grand Traverse Bay and fish this fall because it seems like they, you know, seven pounders are not, not out of the question for what they catch down there in the fall. So, so Colt, would you rate your 
fishing performance or golfing performance higher? Oh, we did golf that next night. <laughs> we, we did. did. <laughs> um, I'm not a golfer. That's all I'll say. I pretty convinced I threw a club that night further than I hit a golf ball. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of <laughs> You don't got to be convinced. Head. It's a fact, man. <laughs> I let go of a golf club. 100%. And I, it, went, it went further than most golf balls I hit that night. So what I think I'm going to do is I'm probably just going to stick with the hunting and fishing. Nothing, nothing against golfers out there. I respect you guys and you women deeply that do that sport. But I am awful at it, and it's best I just stay away from the golf course and stay on the boat. Another golf tip is if you have a buddy who golfs once every five years, don't let him borrow your clubs and throw them. <laughs> don't let them throw them 50 feet up in the air and come bang. crashing down. But enough me rambling about fishing. There's some, There's other stuff going on. I know most people are just not thinking about fishing. I got one thing I got to say, though. I got a dad brag moment. I took my kids out fishing the other night for only the second time ever. We were just doing slip bobber fishing with some night crawlers on a smallmouth lake and one of them caught three the other one caught one and they were so jacked it was the most fun i've had fishing since i was a kid it's it was just cool <laughs> what don's not telling you is that he was also fishing and he didn't catch any no i didn't catch anything <laughs> his kid caught how old your kid five and three five and three out fished him big time <laughs> so <laughs> But that's the best part, and then they've been letting me know ever since the other day that they've they've outfished their dad. So yeah, get the a torch boat. has been passed, man. You got to get a boat better than your boat. What's wrong with my boat? The musky hunter. The musky hunter. hunter. <laughs> Ten foot dented up musky hunter. Have you ever and... seen grumpy old men and the catfish hunter and their boats? That's I mean, then their boats make mine look look you know bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that, we're going to segue into Cody's Corner here. And I wanted to give you guys a little bit more background on what Cody's Corner is. Like, I don't you know, what's this guy? Why is he has his own little segment? Cody does odd things, right? That's what he does. He, he does stuff most of the other sportsmen have either given up um, when they were kids or he just sees something on YouTube and he just goes for it. And it's mostly weird stuff. And the stuff he's been up to lately hasn't been that weird. But it's something that people don't do anymore. So, There's five people in the state doing it probably. And Cody's one and of them. And Cody's one of them. <laughs> he went and traveled seven hours. Granted, he was visiting family. But he went seven hours to go shoot some squirrels. Mission small game season just started here a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to let you... Cody talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Cody's Corner, everybody. Sure. So, you know, I, I think most of us grew up um, hunting squirrels. And, you know, I think you guys grew up downstate. So you had big gray squirrels around. You had fox squirrels around. You had, you know, real squirrels that <laughs> that you could get a meal off of. Um, for, for a lonely um, young kid here in the UP, especially living in pine country, um, we had red squirrels and chipmunks, and that's what I really grew up with, chasing them with a red rider, and um, you know loved every minute of it. But yeah, when I when I yeah I was gonna go down state to visit family and uh, had the opportunity to get after some some real squirrels, so I couldn't couldn't pass that up at all. Um, and you know, in addition to just what. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> in addition to to what we love to do in the fall, whether it's fishing or hunting, um, football is also, you know, something that most of us enjoy a lot. This is a great time of year to be out under the Friday night lights. Um, so I actually got to watch my cousin's uh, son, one of his sons, um, play his homecoming football game, which was, was a pretty cool experience. But uh, yeah, I was able to sneak out two mornings with the old Henry 22. Um, I just put a just added a two by seven scope onto it and went out in the mornings in uh, it's pretty much a 20 acre wood lot that had about every hard mass species that you could imagine for trees um, and it's surrounded by cornfields so I, I had a I had a blast was tagged out or limited out both mornings uh, by 10 a.m. and even picked up a cottontail too I was out looking for uh, a gray squirrel I had shot and found a cottontail hunkered down right in the fence row so. Ended up with with a good pile of meat and a mixed bag. Yeah, it was definitely a mixed bag. I had squirrels of every color. I had some fox squirrels. I think one normal colored gray squirrel and then a bunch of black gray squirrels too. Didn't get a black fox squirrel, but um, so you yeah. being, you being a smart guy is 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 there really black squirrels or are they just no. What's the deal with them? Yeah, that's a, that's at the a, risk of sounding like it's a color face. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. So you can actually have gray squirrels and fox squirrels that get black phases. So it's called melanism. Um, so yeah, normally you know people, the general public usually calls them. Oh, there's a gray squirrels and there's and there's black squirrels over there, and it's really they're both this, probably the same species, just two different phases. So two different color morphs. So, so in some ways, the black. Um, supposed to be a little bit more prevalent in the northern you know parts like up here uh, and in the midwest um, because it helps them thermoregulate in the winter and hide from predators when they're down low in the canopy so can actually benefit them that's why it sticks around in the populations but yeah I had a blast spent a few hours cleaning squirrels they definitely uh, don't go as they're quick not the as easiest to clean. did you they are they did are. you skin them all out you're gonna put them up I skinned a few out we don't have fox squirrels up here at all in the UP for the most part, so um, I did skin out a couple of those. I'm a trapper, so I like putting up fur and, and tan and stuff. So um, you're not gonna get a mount. No, no mounts, no mounts. No, no. I only did it for a couple that I needed, and then the rest of them did the old shirts and pants trick. And did you make and, duck, did you make a squirrel brain stew like the Duck Dynasty stew? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> That didn't sound. You didn't even happen, yeah, think about that, did you? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. You know? But no, it was a riot and just completely different than uh, than squirrel hunting up here. I, w I wish we had squirrels like that up here, but but it's something I don't know. People kind of overlook now, and a lot of people start right off, you know, hunting deer or, or hunting larger game, and um, it's pretty rare when people go backwards. And yeah. get into small game, and I know Coulter, you've talked about that We've on talked here about quite that a bit. A lot about yeah, small game, kind of a dying thing. Yep. Everybody jumps into turkey or deer and never looks back. But small game, there's a lot, a lot of opportunity out there. Yep. And I, I took my daughter um, squirrel hunting up here a couple weeks ago. Um, we didn't get anything. We flushed a grouse on the way in. That was about it that we saw. But uh, you know, trying to get into some areas with oak and looking for some gray squirrels up here, but. It's a great thing to get kids involved and just get out in the woods before deer season starts and have some fun. Really practices like your woodsmanship, mm -hmm. Hunt, you know, being quiet, sitting still, stuff like that. That kind of get lost when you're sitting on box blind waiting for deer to come by. So 
definitely. And you really hone those skills. Yep. Especially for a kid. Yeah. (laughs) And you really have to key into habitat too. You know, if you go sit in the pine stand or in a, even a maple stand up here, if there's no hard mast, you're probably not going to find squirrels. So you've, you've got to find the habitat that supports them and, and go chase them. So. Yeah. I think the other thing you see when you're small game hunting, uh, that I guess with the style of deer hunting that most of us do, whether go in and whether sit in a tree stand or sit in a blind, sit in a tent, you know, same, same walk in, same walk out. You actually really don't see much of the woods anymore because that's the big thing, you know, in today's world with deer hunting is you're not going to walk anywhere else other than where you got to walk because of spread and scent. And, um, so I think that we have kind of lost, um, a lot of, what's out in the woods, what's happening in the woods in the fall. And I think that's a benefit of small game, whether you do it prior to deer season or after deer season, or even if you go out and, you know, take a break from sitting in a tree stand and go during deer season chasing grouse or whatever. Um, it's amazing what you find in the woods that's happening. You might very well stumble upon, like, your next great deer spot doing it too. It's mm-hmm. like, holy cow, look at this area. This is like three years worth of rubs in this area, and there are trees that are 10 inches. I should probably... You know, and if you don't yep. go out there, you know, and, and, and walk around a little bit and see, you know, uh, try to do some small game hunting, a lot of times you're not going to see a lot of those things yep. when you're just doing your regular walk into your same tree stand that you've been going to. So and That's something I love about small game hunting and then trapping too is you can cover a lot of ground and you can see a lot of areas. When I was squirrel hunting the first day, I had eight deer come through, a little basket rack, six point, um, and Probably the closest you'll see a buck. (laughs) (laughs) No scent control, no nothing, sitting at the base of a tree, and none of them figured me out. I mean, it was it was a riot. So, go small game hunting. Yep, just do it. Just get out there. Yeah, it's great. Don't shoot too many rabbits though. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta save those for (laughs) save them for Coulter. Um, Other than that, we I mean, there's a lot of small game opportunities going on right now in Michigan and across um, the Upper Midwest and. Um, the big wood states, Minnesota, Wisconsin, um, grouse started here. We don't, we're not big grouse hunters. We'll, we'll take one on occasion if we're driving our truck down a two track and see one. I'm saying that's the best, I do not best way arrow. to hunt them. But, I do knock uh, an arrow in for certain spots with a, with a small game tip on it on my walk out though. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, but overall this year, and at least here in our part of the UP, we spend a lot of time outside. That's uh, just the nature of what we do and everything. Um, not looking that great for grouse this year. Haven't I haven't seen a bird all summer, and I'm in the woods. I like to think fairly often. Um, woodcock though, woodcock they seem to be everywhere, and that's not even flight birds yet. Um, what do you guys think? What's the outlook for our for our grouse hunters? A lot of people come to Michigan to hunt grouse. It's one of the mm-hmm. best best states in the country for upland bird hunters. Yeah, a lot of Michiganders and Upers. In particular, I mean, yeah, we like to road hunt. We like to, you know, occasionally, you know, pick one up when it's convenient. But we have people come from Georgia and Ohio and Indiana and all over the the south, all especially the that just to come here because of our our upland bird hunting. So, yeah, just this week at work, I got calls from uh, somebody from Illinois, Indiana, Florida, and Ohio all coming up here and they're just you know they're asking about grouse and of course i was honest with them because i've been seeing the same thing i mean some of the areas that donard's in we're not we're not walking around you know too many counties away from each other so we're seeing a lot of the same stuff is we just another tough year for grouse last year and this then uh 
probably the central UP for sure I can speak of. It was a very, very tough grouse season um, for for people that I know that are very good grouse hunters and got very good dogs and are willing to go the extra mile and they just struggled. And, and they're out there almost every day. They're out there every day trying to do it and when their flush rates were as low as what they were, you knew that there was a lack of birds. They're just not there. Yeah. And this year, I, I think it's going to be a little bit of the same. It's just been tough. I just have not been seeing them. I did almost get one with a truck today. I slammed on the brakes so I didn't get them because I thought maybe a hunter would be, a, you know, I'll be like, I want to save that one for somebody. But, uh, but no, everybody I've been talking to said, yeah, grouse are tough again. They do say, though, that they are finding pockets of decent grouse um, in certain areas. Um, when we were dry earlier this, um, kind of in late August, early September, before we got this flush of rain every day, guys were seeing quite a few birds right in the swamp trying to be by that water. But now, I don't know. I mean, there's water everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> so it's been raining. It's been raining, so... I would say guys are going to have a, a great woodcock year, and I think it's going to be just another grinded out grouse year. Yep. So. Can't kill them if you're not out there, mm-hmm. like yep. most things, but uh, you're going to have to work for them. <laughs> yep. A lot of miles, and hope you got a good dog in front of you, I think, this year, because it's going to be tough. Oh, So another thing that I love to do, and Michigan is also – one of the better states around for it is bear hunting, um, black bear hunting. Um, I've had success in the past. Coulter's had success in the past. Cody's still waiting to tip over his first bear. Um, not for lack of effort, but what, like we were talking about, Cody kind of does things differently. And every bear hunt he's had in tag, he kind of tries to do it differently, and it just hasn't paid off for him yet. But... It, not, it will here pretty soon. I'm not, I'm not the most patient when it comes to certain things, so I've always I've always had third season tags for the most part. So you got a shorter window, and yeah. you might have bears coming into your bait consistently, but by the time you two get week, to that third season, it they might shut right behind. off. What is the? Yeah. We're getting putting the cart before the horse here, but you know, you saying you go for third season, Don, you've shot both of your bears first season. Well. One no. of them was first season. With a first season tag. And a first season tag. You yeah. should have had it during the first season. Yep, and then another one I should have had didn't get it and then shot it in October, like well in the third season, basically. Yep. Yep. yep, so, but as a general rule, uh, first season, just looking at success rate, um, is quite a bit higher first season uh, than it is for sure for third season. I think third season mm-hmm. average success rate in Michigan, isn't it like, in the mid-teens? Yeah. It's, but there's it's reasons for that. Low. So in Michigan, it's broken down into seasons. We have a first season, a second season, and a third season. For the UP. For the UP. For Minus the UP. Drummond Island. Yeah. Right, because that's all we're, that we talk about. Downstate's differently. But um, up here, first, second, third season. First season, um, it's five days before second season start, and it's bait only. Um Michigan, you can hunt with hounds and or dogs, and you can bait hunt or you can stand hunt, whatever. But the first season's um, strictly for those guys with bait or just stand hunting. Second season um, is five days after the first season starts, and that's when um, the hound hunters can hit the woods um, with their tags. Um, Michigan has a training season for hound hunters that basically starts two months before first season tag kill tags are valid i guess that's a way to explain it 
And then third season is like a week after, right? Ten days? Ten days ten after. Ten days after yeah. second season starts. Well, now it's going to vary a little bit, but yeah, around right. around ten days. And third season, they say it has lower success rates because it starts later, but it also has a lot more tags available for those guys who want that opportunity to hunt bear. It's there usually for third season. Um, success mm-hmm. rates are usually lower because of its later in the season, but it also gives guys an opportunity to do it every year if they so choose. Yeah, we issue mm-hmm. a lot a lot more tags during the third season partially too because we know the success rate is yep. quite a bit lower because there's a quota that the state of Michigan intends to harvest. Um, you know, Sometimes we under-harvest the quota, sometimes we over-harvest it. But those quotas are based on previous year success rates. So, you know, that third season, there's always a lot more tags issued because the success rate is quite a bit lower in most BMU, all BMUs, bear management units. I actually, uh, you know, I talked a little bit about my hunt in 2016. We talked about Don's hunt. Um, I actually got to go out on a bear hunt this year. Um, and this just uh, would have been a sec- second season tag holder. Kind of a unique experience. Um, it's through, uh, I went with a local organization here, um, Wheel and Sportsman. Um, they're through National Wild Turkey Federation. They have a bunch of sponsors. I can't even think of naming half of them. I probably wouldn't get them all right. Um, but what they do is they just provide um, opportunities to people that are um, disabled, handicapped, um, uh, mostly you know physically handicapped. Um, they they provide opportunities to young people, old people, um, just, just people however um, they came into the condition they're in, um, some through sickness, some through age, some through a freak accident. Um, the individual I went with, Daryl, um, was a little bit older gentleman, um, just had kind of a, just a bunch of bad luck in his life. He was just kind of, just unfortunately from the beginning, he had, uh, some, some tough conditions that made him, uh, made his ability to get, you know, deep in the woods and do much hunting in his life, uh, pretty much none. Um, he shot his first deer, um, with the Wheel and Sportsman's organization in 2015. Um, he shot his first turkey, I think, in 2015 as well. Um, and he, I believe he was, he's 60, he's in his mid-60s or early 60s. So, I mean, this is late in his life um, Did he come into the sport of hunting. And the only reason he came into it is through this organization. And, and the individual I went with um, was Ken Buckholz. This is kind of the, I, he's going to not like if I say this, but poster child. He's kind of the... He's kind of the one who who who's, uh, does the most work with it. Um, he's the most involved, definitely, in my mind, definitely the most passionate about it. It's kind of become his life um, all year round. He's thinking about it, prepping blinds. Um, and these blinds that they have, they have seven of them. Um, and we were hunting out of one of these blinds for the bear hunt. Um, they're really unique that they can provide an opportunity for these people of um, varying um, physical conditions um, to to shoot a gun when, quite honestly, they otherwise probably wouldn't be able to. Um, a lot of times the guns are mounted on a table, um, they're fixed, and there's a, uh, a rubber tube that um, the hunter, um, Daryl, and the hunt I was on blow into, which pulls the trigger. And actually, the gun is moved through um, <clears throat> through like levers, and the scope is actually... Um, up on a TV screen, so there's something that goes over the front of the scope, and then you can see where the crosshairs are going on the TV screen, and and it's it's kind of you know people are like oh it sounds like a video game or it doesn't sound like hunting you know I've heard people talk about it but you know these people otherwise would never be in the woods they'd never be in a blind and they sure as heck would never be shooting at a Michigan black bear, so to be involved in that I was you know I've heard about it I've known Ken um, ever since I moved to the UP here 
Um, always a great guy. And when he called me that day, he called me at lunch break. And uh, he's like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, well, I was going to go film my buddy bear hunting, but he said he didn't want me to come. So I guess I'm just going to go home. And he's like, well, do you want to come film our bear hunt? And I was like, heck yeah. I'm like, I got all the stuff in the truck. And I went out there. And actually that first night we didn't, uh, we didn't see the bear. The bear didn't come in. It's a very, very regular bear. Um, it didn't come in. And uh, the next day I texted him and I kind of had a tight schedule. I'm like, Ken, I'm like, I'll come out again with you guys today. I'm like, there's no way this bear doesn't show up two nights in a row with how regular it's been. And that second night, um, sat down in the blind. Um, it was me, Daryl, and Ken all in a blind. And these, they make these blinds super nice, super comfortable. I asked Ken if he could build me one, but he said no. But um, they're, they're just, you know, I had room for, I had two cameras set up on uh, tripods, plus the table with a gun, plus room for... I was drinking a pop and a water, and we had snacks, and it was, it was awesome, and then just real comfortable, and you know, in that environment it has to be comfortable. This is, you know, you're a lot of times hunting with people that, you know, um, they got a lot of pains, a lot of aches, they, their ability to move in tight spaces isn't good, so they're the kind of conditions that, um, and the kind of environment they create in these blinds is, um, is can have these people in them. Um, and have them be comfortable and enjoy their experience. Because at, the, at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do, is you're providing an experience that these people otherwise would not have. So I got to film all of it, and wouldn't you know it, on that second night, at I guess the bear was typically coming in at 7.45, and at 7.39, I saw Ken looking through binox on the wood line, and he put the binox down, and right when he put him down, I saw a bear, and I thought for sure he saw the bear. And he starts like opening up a piece of candy. And I'm like, did you see the bear? And like, what are you talking about? I'm like, there's a bear coming through the field. And it skirted, and it, by that time, it had gone off in the woods, and I thought maybe it saw us move, and I freaked out, and like, oh, no, great. But about 30 seconds later, there it was on top of the bait. And uh, it took a little while to, to get everything figured out. You know, there's a lot going on in that blind to try to get that shot off. You're trying to coordinate two people. Plus, I had stupid cameraman in there telling him he wasn't on him yet or whatever I was telling him. But uh but it was awesome. Uh, made a great shot, and the bear went, I don't know. I It seemed like further than what it did because I got the lucky job. I was the young one there. Um, got to drag it through the swamp it went into. But it probably only went 70, 70 yards at most. It was a perfect perfect uh, uh, long shot, um, and it was just a, just a cool experience to see Daryl's face because Daryl wasn't, of course, able to go into the swamp with us, retrieve the bear. So I came running out after I found it um, and, t and told him, he's like, I got it. And he's like, is it a big one? I said, ah, you know, it ain't a, ain't a big one. But when he thought, when he saw it, he thought it was the biggest, you know, the biggest bear in the world. And it was just, had a big smile on his face. So he actually, that bear, he shot a turkey this spring. He shot a deer during uh, the Liberty hunt. And then he got the bear shortly after. So he shot all three. I mean, what else is, I guess an elk, but I mean. Other than that, you can't. That's it right there. Yeah. Michigan that's, trifecta. That's, that's about as good as it gets. And all hunting with that organization, all out of their adaptive equipment blinds that just make them be able to get out there and get in the outdoors um, to the you know the fullest extent they can possible. So that was cool. I mean, bear hunting is always fun, but that was a little extra special just being able to to film that. So we're hoping to you know get that out eventually so that we can share that experience with you know with other people because it was something rather unique that I got to go on so but yeah it was a great bear hunt great experience and apparently I'm getting some sausage so pretty pumped about that that's awesome <laughs> yeah, heck yeah everybody wins <laughs> yep. so 
the way I've hunted first season, I've always baited. Coulter, I know you've baited. Um, and in Michigan, there's a bunch of new rules this year. It's a little confusing when it regards to, to baiting. There's We can now use barrels on state land. Um, just state land, not national forest land or commercial forest land, but state-owned land you can use barrels. And there's different regulations, look them up, for how you can set that barrel up. But before, it was private land only for barrels. And then most state land guys, you either hollow out a stump, put a rock on it, um, or you dig a hole and cover with brush or logs, and that's how you do it. And that's that's what I've done before. I did a, a barrel on private land um, for my first bear, and also a hole. And on state land, I dug a hole. And it's actually the holes that have gotten me bears, whether that's, you know, I don't know. I had bears on the barrel. It's not like they're not using it. But <clears throat> so most guys' general tactics for baiting up here is sweets, a lot of sweets and bread, carbohydrates, um, or corn when you can use corn. You can't use corn until um, the 15th of September, which would be second season. And it's got to be inaccessible to deer, right? Right, guys? Yeah, help, me, help me out here. There's been some changes <laughs> this year, so, but. I think in general, it's, it's close to that. In yeah. general, it's about that. A lot of guys like me, I like to use a lot of sweets. Um, and I like to start off with less sweets. And then you can bait a month before the season starts. Before your kill tag is, you know, you can... So this year was August 11th. It's like a August 11th, mm -hmm. say, and then the bear season where well, you can kill September them starts 11th. September, 11th. September 11th. So you got like a month ahead of pre-baiting to get bears used to coming in. You can find them, do all that stuff. And I kind of, my strategy in the past has been, um, I like to use like sticky granola or some other like filling bait, a little bit of sweets, um, bread products. And then as it gets closer to the season, I like to put more sweets in there to try to get those bears because a lot of guys will start coming up from downstate or just getting out and start throwing their baits out a week or two before the season and those bears will go hit those baits because it's something new it's something fresh you know it's different from what they've been hitting at your bait pile um for the last month so i like to get more sweets out there something different um to keep them more interested in coming back check and make sure you know that's the best try to give the best bait out there um, and it's worked for me anyway. Um, Coulter, it kind of worked for you. You did a lot of baiting there a couple years ago. He had several spots going. You had yeah, some nice and I, bears. And, and I, I, to be quite honest, I didn't, I guess, you know, Don's strategy of, of sweetening it up as it gets closer, um, changing it up. I'm, I did some of that. I, I'd say, I guess my biggest strategy and we had success. I actually was myself hunting and then, uh, a family friend also came up from downstate to hunt. Um, so I had five spots. You're allowed three spots per hunter. So I had uh, five spots total just to, uh, well, for a couple of reasons. Wind directions was one because obviously with it being in September, you figure south winds. But when you're taking time off work and you have all this money invested and somebody's coming up from downstate, you know, you might get a week of north winds or a week of weird winds. So you want to have, to me, I want to have a spot set up that, that I'm not, not hunting, you know. Um, so that's part of the reason I had the spots and just, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to have, you're not, you're not going to have a daylight bear in every spot. Um, actually that year, I don't know if it was bear numbers or I was just, I don't know if I was good. I wouldn't say I was good. I was lucky. Actually on opening day of bear season in 2016, it 
other than maybe wind direction, it wouldn't have mattered where we would have sat. There was a legal bear in during daylight. Um, I harvested a bear opening day. Don actually got it on film. It's on TKZ Outdoors YouTube page. I just watched it the yep, other day. It's on there. Yeah. I was all pumped though. I had first, to show some first bear ever. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the hunter that came up from downstate um, also killed a bear opening day. And not no giants or anything, but uh, just I guess I don't know. First first bears for both of us. But I guess my strategy going back to to the debating, I definitely started the very first day. You could start. Um, and another thing I did, and after uh, talking to more and more bear hunters, I know that not everybody does this, but when we set up five spots, we set a tree stand at all five spots the day we started baiting. And there's a very good chance that you're wasting a lot of time and a lot of energy because there's a chance you might very well not hunt all five of those spots. You actually hope you're not going to hunt all five of those spots. <laughs> but I've just heard too many stories of people going out and setting a fair amount of baits, seeing what hits, and then and then putting all their efforts into one or two baits. And then they set their tree stand up, and all of a sudden, whether it's the different scent, because they bring a buddy in there to help them set the, the stand, or the stand has scent, or yeah. they're trimming too many lanes, or I don't know what happens, but it seems like sometimes those bears bug out when there's a change. So Yeah, if you guys think that deer have a good nose, bears, like, a hundred times over a deer. You're not going to mm. fool their nose. So it's something different. They know there's humans in there. that I They know who's feeding them. Yeah. They you know who's they feeding them. They just don't them, care. But there's just, and there's like, just some, I don't know. There's And like you said, though, um, getting back to baiting early, that's a big part of it, getting them started early so they get used to you. You know, They know when you're in and out of there. They're usually not bedded very far away from your bait. You make noise, let them know you're coming in so you don't, for one, they can Safety. startle a bear on your bait <laughs> while you're walking in with food. Silent cubs. <laughs> and then as you leave, you can do the same thing. Make a little noise or um, put some scent out right when you leave so they know, hey, yep, I got used to that. You know, that's when they're gone. I can come in now. And and quite honestly, I had, you know, so like that guy coming up from downstate, um, you know, other than the first day, you know, he came up here and we, we in, a, in a long weekend, we set all the baits. He helped set all the stands, which is great. And then after that, you know, he went back downstate, and his next time due up was um, was the season. And when I brought, when I went into his spot, I told him, under no circumstance are you going to walk down to the bait. And it's not that I didn't want him to bait or didn't want him to check the trail camera. I just, they were used to me, my scent, whatever I smelled like at, you know, and I'll go through that when I baited, but they were just used to that, and I did not want something abnormal to throw him off. Now, of course, he had to sit in the tree and sit in the tree stand. We couldn't control that, but at least he wasn't down on that bait. So I, we were gun hunting, so we were a little ways off the baits. You know, we weren't right close. So that, and the other thing that I thought was important to our success was I baited the exact same time within at least the hour to two hours every single day. Now. Probably for the first three weeks of baiting, I baited every day. For that last week to week and a half, I baited every single day. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's it's hot. The mosquitoes are still out. And I baited from 4.30 to 6.30 in the morning. And some people are like, that's insane. Which it, it did seem that way. But why I did that, there was a couple reasons. One, by the time I got out of work... And with as many baits as I was running, being five, I knew how long it took me, I think, to get through all five baits if I was hauling, moving as fast as I could, and didn't get stung by bees at the bait pile. I would say <laughs> it took me... They like sweets, too. <laughs> they like sweets, too. It took me two and a half to three hours to run those baits. So from the time I like 
you know, started getting all my baits together the time I was done and out of my last spot. So if I got out of work at 4.30, there was no way that I was getting everything baited before it was starting to get dark. So I feel like I was going to push bears in the darkness. So I opted to go in in the morning. And the other reason is, is me and the guy that I was hunting, we took the whole week off. So if I got morning bears, cool, we got morning bears. We'll go hunt in the morning. So it didn't matter if we, you know, some people want nighttime bears because that's when they have time. Um, but I didn't care that they came in, uh, you know, in, right away in the morning because we did have a couple morning bears. Unfortunately, opening morning was downpour rain downpour. So, mm-hmm. so it didn't work out and actually one of the spots that opening morning in 2016 there actually was a nice bear on camera but we sat somewhere else but uh so i guess just consistency these bears i don't i don't know much about bears i don't claim to be an expert i definitely know that they are like consistency is a big thing yeah yeah, yeah. whether you it's do, scent, stuff, do the stuff the same way you know don't except for except for change up your bait i think there's something to that yeah it's bland right you know right I don't like it's like you. You don't eat the same thing for dinner every night. You want to change it up once in a while. So do the same thing with them. And I did do. I did sweeten some alternating. I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah. say I sweetened it up over time, but I definitely had different formulas that I threw in the buckets just to try to change it up. Because Don's right. It's competition. It's like all honey. It's I guess. competition. There's other people out there, and that's great. But at the same time, I I don't know. Bears I'm, will cover a long ways if they know where the baits are, and yep. you want to make sure they're sticking around your area a little bit longer. You know, yeah. give you a chance to get one, you know. So. Right. So that's bait hunting basically for bears in Michigan. It's, it's about consistency. It's about giving them what they want and... Um, often. 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 You can you can get away with baiting, you know, a couple times a week for the first few weeks of baiting. But as it gets closer to season, you want to make sure there's bait all the time. Because if another guy's baiting... And you you take three days off, and that bait goes cold. That bear might never come back because he'll move and find a different spot to go feed. And they and don't. It's especially much. true, yeah. <laughs> and it's especially true if there's a a lot of natural mass sources out there. If there's a lot of soft mass, hard mass, those bears will find those areas because they know to check those areas every year. Bears can remember things or crop know, fields like crazy. too, or crop fields. You know, we didn't really have that, but there's a lot of people that that's I a variable. Mean, if your mm-hmm. bait goes cold, they're going to go to the next food source cause they're packing it on. Cause another reason why third season success drops off is cause those bears start going to going to the den to hibernate here in October. Mm-hmm. So you have a quick window to capitalize on them being hungry basically. But besides baiting, there's another um, strategy um, in Michigan that a lot of guys use and they're very passionate about is that's hound hunting. Um, I have zero experience with hound hunting. I know hound hunters, they care a lot about about their sport, um, and they're they're pretty hardcore about it. They they do it all the time. They they love what they do. Um, but I have zero experience. I've never hunt, hound hunted. I've never um, accompanied a hound hunter um on a on a trail or anything like that i don't know coulter if you have or not but i know cody has been out um during that training period we were talking about where guys can start july 8th they have two months to train their puppies um get them used to running bears and all that and i know cody you've ran with them maybe you can speak a little bit more about um the details there on how um, those guys employ their strategies to bear hunt Sure. So, um, yeah, I got to go out this year. That was that was my first time actually getting out and um, running bears with hounds. It was a pretty neat opportunity. Um, I think if you look, you know, back far enough, um, 
you know, the only real ways for, for finding bears with dogs is you got to go either cut tracks. So you might, you're going out early in the morning looking for tracks, looking on sandy roads, any any type of road where you can leave Driving, right? Driving, Driving yeah, for the most part. Trying yep. to cut tracks. Yeah, some places they will walk, especially if it's, um, you know, a tough road, tough to be able to see, and you want to get up close, and, and you know it's worth checking because of previous experience. Um, they will do that. Nowadays, it seems like the majority of houndsmen have kind of um, switched and they'll utilize well i should mention too besides just cutting tracks uh, they've also sometimes put strike dogs so dogs that will key on scent while you're driving down the road um they'll actually put them on on the hood of the truck at times or dogs will strike on a scent just riding in the box in the back so my wife actually her dad used to run hounds um for bears while she was growing up she harvested her first bear when she was a senior in high school whoa 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 <laughs> So, your wife shot a bear in high school, <laughs> and you're still struck out on bears. That's true. Well, in my, you're a youper. In my and defense. You were, born, you, were, you were raised up in the <laughs> UP your whole life. You don't have a bear. That's actually not good. I know. In my defense, she sabotaged <laughs> me the last time I had a bear tag, because you and I, Don, were yep. running baits together, and we we did have bears coming in consistently. Everything was all set. She sabotaged you. She thought. she sabotaged me because. Did you have a kid? I was supposed to have. <laughs> I was supposed to have like a week and a half to hunt in. I think it was third season, and instead, she ended up having to go in for a scheduled C-section on, I believe, the second day of my it takes- hunt. Two for that to happen. Yeah, I don't know if that's me. I mean, I'm the singles that come out of that works, but I've heard there's this nine month thing. So if you like, especially if it's a scheduled season. So if that's if that's happening and do some math, you probably put her. I've had a kid Mm. in deer season. Mm. I know how that goes, and I know that's you know. (laughs) Me too. So anyway, so anyway. Your kid, uh, not very your good kid screwed you by, well, <laughs> my, my, my bear tag was eaten, so I think I sat once, once or twice, and she was, she was getting on me just for doing that, because it was getting so close, so, so yeah, and we, the, had, a regular, the saga we continues. had a regular bear at the one spot then, too. We did, yeah. we had eyebrows, we had one with nice brown eyebrows, we had a, we had a few different bears that were coming in. All right, so back to you sucking at, or away from you sucking at bear hunting, back to hound hunting experience. Anyways, so if we go back to to strike dogs, sitting on the, you know, a lot of times they used to sit right on the hood. Um, My wife actually, when she was a kid, she used to sit on the hood of the truck with the strike dog, be looking for tracks while the dog's smelling for bear bear scent. So uh, it's pretty cool, and you know, those guys, they spend a ton of time in the woods, they're kind of, I think of them on a similar level to trappers. They're out there, they're seeing everything, they're looking at tracks everywhere, you know, they're just, they're woodsmen. Um, but then now I think that's, it's changed quite a bit. A lot of guys that run hounds will, will use instead of a strike dog or, or cutting tracks necessarily or all the time, um, they'll do strike baits. So they'll actually set up baits that aren't too far off the road. Um, they might look for tracks going into those strike baits, but they also might have a trail camera on them. Um, and that, I mean, I'm sure it increases, you know, how efficient they can be. They can kind of get an inventory of what bears are out there, um, even more so than just off of tracks. 
So I think in general, the majority of houndsmen have kind of trended that way, at least from, from what I understand. So, uh, But the guys I went out with this year, plus early in the training season, you can't bait yet anyway. So everybody's, you know, still cutting tracks and or, or uh, using strike dogs. So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a really neat opportunity. Um, we got to go out. We so walk us through what was the, what was the day like what, sure so i think we had three different trucks um each with one or two people in them um you know everybody's got a radio to communicate with each other um you know if you go far enough back you know dogs didn't have collars you're relying on sound then they got vhf collars which you know you, you've got the directional antenna where you're hearing beeps coming from a certain direction and you try to figure out where your dog is or triangulate its position and then nowadays you got GPS collars on. A, a lot of guys are running GPS collars, so that's going to show you exactly where those dogs are at all times. Uh, we actually had one dog that got put out without a collar on it, though. <laughs> I think it only had a VHF, um, and so that was that was fun. Luckily, he ended up um, with the other dogs later in the day. But but basically, we all split up. All the trucks went to different roads, and they were you know already established roads that those guys would check every morning for the most part. Um, we each ran our own route looking for tracks. Um, me and the guy I was with, actually, we, we caught the bear track that day, which was pretty cool. Um, probably a 100-pound bear, nothing nothing huge, probably a yearling. Um, and actually, at the same spot we cut that track, um, we ended up finding a nice, well, it looked like two running together, uh, probably a adult female and a kitten, but bobcat tracks cruising okay. down the same sandy road. So that was, that was pretty neat. Um, but basically found the track, called everybody else on the radio, said, come over. Um, not only did we need the track, we needed to figure out what direction it went, um, so that we could put the dogs down going in the right direction because otherwise you're going to waste a whole bunch of time. No, no, for the most part. Yeah. Is it, I mean, I guess when we grabbed them out of the box, they were on leashes, but basically get them pointed in the right direction and Mm -hmm. unclip them. Yep. And go. Um, and what's cool, the one guy I was with, he's been doing it a long time. I think he was in his 80s. Um, he he took off running with the dogs. He ran with the dogs most of the most of the run. Oh. We'd pick him up and shuttle him up, um, and keep moving him. But he was he was out there with his dogs in the woods. It was pretty neat. <laughs> um, and they don't run run strike baits at all. They're they're old school. Um, and we ended up running this bear for quite a while. Um, one one truck might have got a little um a little too hasty and got up right where the bear was about to cross the road and and saw it and scared it back across the road it doubled back on his tracks and then the dogs got confused for a while um ended up getting chasing it all the way to a big river and the dogs were on one side showing that they treed and uh me and another guy ran in there Found the dogs at the base of a tree right on the river with no bear in it. So I think the bear most likely crossed the river and they lost the scent. So um, even though, you know, a lot of guys I think have the perception that if you find a bear, it's done. done. It's a done deal. And it really isn't the case. Um, It's, you've got to, you know, they've got to put in the work all summer trying to train their dogs get get those dogs to figure out how to work a track, how to figure out when a bear does something like that that makes a really tough trail. Um and that, yeah, that's that's where the work's put in and and nothing's a done deal necessarily. Big bears a lot of times won't tree, period. <laughs> they'll they'll walk and just let the dogs follow them and and 
Yeah, there's, there's all looking sorts for of a things. Fight, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they'll sit down and <laughs> Bring it. and keep them at at bay. So, uh, yeah, really, really neat opportunity. It was fun to fun to do. So, yeah. Well, cool. Maybe we'll have to get on a dog hunt here with the camera that would be these fun. days. That'd be that kind would. of fun to do. That would. It's it's neat too because like bait hunting in general, it's, it's typically more of a solitary activity, right? right? You're usually doing it by yourself. And I mean, same thing, Coulter, with running rabbits. With rabbits, you you can do it by yourself, but it's it's harder, you know, yep. you generally than having a big group. But for running bear hounds, I I don't know. I don't know of anybody who does it by themselves. No. I think it'd be damn hard to catch your dogs, you know, and, and make sure that they're safe. And try to control that many dogs, you know, because... Exactly. I, would, I mean, what is an average chase? I mean, there's a legal amount of dogs. I think you run up to six or eight. Um, and so, yeah, usually you're you're using you know? quite a few dogs. And so if, for one guy if some get to, confused and go on a different track... Dogs. Yeah, exactly. So it, ha- dogs, it basically dude. has to be a group activity, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is which is really neat. I think it's kind of, it might be a barrier to entering. You know, you've kind of got to have buddies who also want to do it. Mm-hmm. Or, and maybe each each guy has a couple dogs and you all get together and run. Um, but it's also a cool opportunity where it's a it's a reason for everybody to get together and spend time together in the woods. So Yeah, and I think that, just, just a thought, you know, because, you know, not to bring controversy into the conversation or anything, but I think... Because not many people do it and because it is kind of like a tough thing to get into, I think there's a lot of people that haven't done it and there's a lot of misconceptions about it or misunderstanding or just lack of knowledge about it. But, you know, you'd be surprised like if you, you know, if you start asking around to different people, um, especially up in the UP where it is still a big thing because we have huge tracts of public land. I think those people are more than happy to, to take people along because it's, People aren't really a hindrance to the sport. There can be a lot of people there. You know, obviously there might be certain circumstances where you might, you know, not get to go in or something like that. But I think that, you know, they're more than welcome to show people their sport because they are passionate about it. Um, They love it. It's a year-round activity for them. They're literally raising dogs for this. Um, They're feeding dogs for for this great sport. So just something I would encourage people to... If you know, maybe you don't want to harvest a bear that way, but just to go on it because of the camaraderie and just the the passion that those group of people have is pretty pretty impressive. And it's kind of a cool thing. So you're running you're running dogs, right? Like you're saying, it's a group of people. You don't need a kill tag to run those bears. Michigan offers that participation license or whatever. Participation license. So if, if you dogs. want to go and handle yeah. dogs and, and 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 get into it, you can do that without needing a, a actual hunting license to do it you can just do it every year and have the fun of it without having to um you know pull the trigger you know you can do it every year and not wait four or five years to get your tag to to be able to go out and enjoy it so that's kind of it's kind of neat but um well guys that's gonna be probably our small game bear season pre-deer season talk here um anything you want to add before we we sign off here I'm the best fisherman in the group. Well, you definitely fish the most. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah I should yeah. be the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don's the best bear hunter. Cody's the best squirrel hunter. Cody's got squirrels on lockdown. <laughs> he does have them on lockdown. Beavers and squirrels. Yep. He's got those, too. All right. One last thing before we sign off. We talked about, we were, we were talk, especially Cody squirrel hunting, they're a lot of chasing tail. Coulter, 
Any, anything on uh, on the front? Or are you still on the rocks? You, you still rocks most eligible bachelor. Oh, I am rocks most eligible bachelor still. Okay. Absolutely no, uh, nothing. Nothing. I'm chasing some big female bass. Yeah. Other than that, it's it, there's nothing going on. Don't know. Few, no. few bush light drinking female bass. Bud Light. Bud Light drinking female bass. That's it. Oh, there's a lot of drinking bush light. Bud Light will chase some big female <laughs> bass. <laughs> that's the only thing that's there's happening. Bushlight. Yep. Drinking pasty eating female bass. Yep. <laughs> so no, I got. I got nothing for chasing any tail, unless it's got a white one that has got a rack on its head. <laughs> it's the only chasing tail that's going on right now. So. Alright, well with that, um, that'll do it for this episode of the TKZ Outdoors Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys soon, hopefully, um, about a little deer hunting. Thanks for listening.